Hey everyone, happy new year. Welcome, welcome. And thank you for tuning in to Shoot the Breeze with Alexandra Marie. And I am your host, Alexandra Marie. So we are, I'm just so excited. This is season four of Shoot the Breeze with Alexandra Marie. Now, this podcast is a cultural and society podcast. Um, and my particular podcast, I try not to focus on one topic ongoing. I try to focus on a particular topic for a season. Last season, we focused on everyday women that embodied the qualities of Wonder Woman. And I want to thank all the fabulous women that came on the show and pretty much told us how they do what they do. And at the end of the day, it's all about planning. You know, you have so much to do and so little time. How do you get to it all? Plan, plan, and plan. So if you're new to this show, I want to tell you a little bit about myself. I am a single mom of two, first-generation Caribbean. I am a behavioral therapist, an entrepreneur, business owner, podcast host. I hold an array of different certifications, but they all fall under behavioral therapy. I'm also a cognitive behavioral therapy mindful coach. And I hold a certification as a weight loss coach. So that's just a little bio, just in case you're new to the show. So this season, we are focusing on mental health. And this episode, I want to shed light on prenatal depression. If you're unaware, I have a three-year-old who's about to be three and a half in about two months. So I myself have been pregnant recently. And if you don't know me, you don't know that before I had my son, for about five years, I, all I could do was think about having a son. I was looking into adoption. I was looking into in vitro. I was looking into how much I would have to save to where I can get a sperm donor and go through the whole process of choosing my own sex for my child because I really wanted a son. If you're also unaware, um, the reason I was going that route is before I dated my son's father, I hadn't dated a man, been with a man for a little over a decade. I used to be with women. And even then, 
all that time being with women, I didn't think about men. It is not that I was disgusted by men. I simply didn't not didn't think of men. It, there was nothing to think about. I wasn't attracted to them. I didn't want to be with them. I just I just didn't want to be anywhere near them sexually. You know, I had a lot of guy friends, but sexually there was nothing there. So before I remember this vividly, before I started working at the airport. So before I was um in the field that I am in now. So before being a behavior therapist and everything, I was in retail management for a long time. Um, it was easy, it was quick, and as a single mom, I needed something easy and quick. So I remember waking up in the middle of the night and the dream was just... I, I, I woke up thinking my life was a dream. That's how vivid it was. It's like I could see my son. I could hold my son. I can smell my son. And I said to, I said to myself and I said to the universe, you know, I am ready for my son. I am ready to be a mom to a little boy. It's what I want. And I want you to put me in the position where I would be able to have a son. Whether that meant landing a fabulous job where I can make an obscene amount of money and choose the sex and get in vitro and do all that. And I remember saying, or if it meant you know, me coming across a guy and being in a relationship with a guy, you know, I remember. And I want to tell you guys something. Both myself and my son's father, if we were to say, well, what is your type? We weren't each other's type. At least not, I don't have a type when it comes to dating men. But when I dated guys in high school and in elementary, like, you know, my seventh and eighth grade boyfriend, they looked nothing like my son's father. It was a complete 180. And I looked nothing like the women that my son's father would date. When we met, I wasn't feminine at all. At all. When we started hanging out and becoming close with one another, femininity, no, that was not me. That was not it. This person right now was not the person he met, was not the person he started dating. So we are not going to go... <laughs> <laughs> through the whole relationship 
I do speak about our relationship in season one, but this is to stress how badly I wanted a son. I found out I was pregnant. My son's father and I, we were going through some rough times and at the breaking point. It was literally at the breaking point. And um, of course, I wasn't ecstatic, not about the pregnancy itself. I was just sad because the relationship, you know, and this is someone that when we were friends and I expressed how badly I wanted a son, this is someone that offered, hey, you know, you're an awesome person. I wouldn't mind, you know, offering my sperm. Um, but of course it would have to be okay with, uh, the person I'm dating at the time. And I would always tease him like, what does that have to do? It's your sperm. If I want it, I should have it. Right. I understand. It was just, you know, a a back and forth thing that we had. So this is someone that offered. And this is someone that when we got together in a relationship, we both, you know, would say, we can't wait to have a son. We both would say that. I mean, down the line, he he was like, oh yeah, I would want a daughter, you know? And I'm like, no, 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 no. I have a daughter. I know you don't have any children, but I want a son. So it was, it was put into the universe strongly. So when I got pregnant, There was no doubt in my mind, you know, I definitely was praying for a healthy child, of course, but we all, if you've had children, we all secretly sometimes hope like, oh, I hope it's a boy or I hope it's a girl or some of us are hoping for twins, you know, it's, it's human nature and I would have dreams even while I was pregnant before knowing the sex. When I learned that I could take a blood test and I would know the sex before ultrasound, I couldn't wait. I was like, I'm doing this because I know, I know, I believe that I'm going to have a boy. Like I knew it. You couldn't tell me anything. I just knew it found out that it was a boy and I was just walking on water, like floating on air. It was just like all of my prayers, you guys. I was so, so happy. It didn't matter that um, my son's father and I were on the outs, that we weren't seeing eye to eye. All of that didn't matter. I was having my my boy that I've been wanting for so long. So all of that, yeah, no, I didn't care. It didn't matter. 
that feeling, that feeling didn't last very long. After a while, I started feeling so overwhelmed. And of course, there was a lot of other factors. You know, there was my job. There was the fact that this is not how I wanted it to go. I wanted to be living in California. I wanted to be in a different career. Uh, this is not how I wanted it to go. Life happens, yes. And I mean, hey, if this is not how you wanted it to go, I know some of you guys are thinking, well, why didn't you just take care of it? No. But this is not how I wanted it to go. Especially having a child with someone and me and that person are not going to work out. Like we were just, as days went by, we were pulling more and more on different sides of the world, it seemed. We're just pulling apart. We were falling apart. And logically, logically speaking, hey, Alex, look, you are pregnant. You are pregnant with your son. You believe in the power of affirmation. You spoke this, this whole scenario into the universe. Do you realize this? You asked the universe. You told the universe that you were ready to have a son. You told the universe that to present you with the means. Now, hey, it's not the universe's fault that you didn't specify. You didn't specify, hey, if I were to have a child with a man, I want to be with that man forever or whatever. You you know, and if you did, the energy wasn't there. The energy was on having a son. And if you guys know anything about affirmation and speaking things into the universe, whatever it is you really, really want, you have to give it a lot of energy. You have to feed it. And I was predominantly just feeding the boy, the gender, the son. That's what I was feeding. That's what I was praying for. That's what I was meditating on. That's what I was lighting candles for. And that's what I got. That's what I got. And I was grateful. Do not take this in any uh, any other way than me being grateful. I was, I was grateful to the universe and I tried so hard to be happy, but I could not be happy. And that was tearing me up inside. I could not shake the overwhelming feeling that I was not 
going to be good enough to raise a boy. You know, and people that knew me are like, what do you mean? You pretty much, you know, you were the aggressor in the relationship. You pretty much took care of the household in, in your past relationship. And yes, there's nothing in the world that is going to substitute a father the same way there's nothing in the world that's going to substitute a mother. But you like sports, you like cars. You know, I was just trying to say to myself, if I had to do this alone, completely alone, and he not be in my son's life, would I be able to raise a son that would be productive to society? Like, would I be able to? Could I give him all my love and energy? And I remember, I would say, I, I, I can't be in retail anymore at all because I just didn't like the inconsistency of schedules. And I knew all that I missed out on my daughter's life. And I said, I have to go into a field that allows me the opportunity to be home with my children and allows me the opportunity to spend time with my son. That was mostly important to me. And because I wasn't in the right frame of mind, I couldn't see clearly. I couldn't pull myself out of that overwhelming feeling of not being enough. Even though I, I have what I've wanted for so long. And I know some of you are like, well, that feeling, that dread, women go through it all the time. You're raising a baby. All of these hormones are racing through you. You are literally growing another human being. Of course you're going to be emotional. Of course you're going to be doubtful. Of course you're going to have overwhelming feelings. That's what I would constantly hear from my son's father. Constantly. I'd be sobbing, crying myself to sleep literally every night. And it didn't help that we weren't together. So that feeling of not being good enough, well, I'm not good enough to keep him in my life. I'm not good enough for us to be together. So I, apparently I'm just not good enough. Even though while round and pregnant, I had men, you know, courting me. It was just, it was just like, in my mind, I was thinking, you guys are freaks. I'm not a fetish. There was nothing anyone could do or say to make me feel like everything was going to be okay. 
Nothing. It didn't help that all this stress, and I'm talking about stress of work. I'm talking about stress of having a teenager. The stress of a relationship. The stress of my financial status. The stress of life. It didn't help that all of that stress. I found out I had gestational diabetes. And then preeclampsia was creeping. By the time I was really diagnosed with preeclampsia, because in the beginning, the doctors were unsure. My blood pressure would spike, but then I would come back and it would be fine. And then it would, you know, spike again. And then there was swelling and they couldn't differentiate. They couldn't say, okay, maybe this is just gestational diabetes. But by the time they said, okay, no, you have preeclampsia. It was too late for medication and other types of therapies at that point. So it was basically, listen, you need to monitor your stress. Okay, it is not good for you and it is definitely not good for your baby. We have no idea why your blood pressure is rising and it's still rising, whatever it is. So the doctors came together and I was put on bed rest. I had to not work. You know, the condition of my work where I had to wake up at 3 to get to work by 5.30. And the numbers, the doctors were like, no. We're putting you on bed rest. If this is what's contributing to your sugar getting too high and your blood pressure increasing with every appointment, no. We are putting you on bed rest. That didn't help. That did not help. Not having something to do. I sat and sat with my thoughts. So anxiety started to set in irritability the mood swings and my lack of motivation to do anything and I started to feel worthless I started to (laughs) I'm tearing up thinking about it but I started to feel completely worthless and then I started to get sick headaches stomach aches and everyone around me 
would say, well, those are growing pains. I'm like, I had a baby. It may have been 13 years ago, but these are not growing pains. I would go and I had a midwife up until I was around seven, eight months. And then I had, um, well, I had other doctors, like I had nutritionists. I had other doctors around me because of my numbers. But every day appointment was with a midwife. And as she got to know me, she would say, I think you're depressed. And I was so fearful because if I said I was, if I said I wasn't feeling right, would they take my baby away from me? Like, would I not be able to take my baby home? And then my son's father and I, like I said, we weren't together. We were arguing. Would he take my baby? I was just, I was battling this alone. And every time I would want to bring it up to him, or when I would, he would, he would dismiss it. He would, he would say, well, I've spoken to people and you're fine. You're just overreacting. You're just really emotional. You just need to just stop. Everything is fine. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm not fine. It is not fine to fall asleep every night and cry. It is not fine to just not want to do anything. It is not fine to just feel hopeless. None of that is fine. And if you're pregnant or ever been pregnant, none of that is fine. That is not fine. Yes, pregnant women get emotional. Yes, we have mood swings. Yes, we can watch something that we've watched 20 times and laughed through a scene and then be pregnant and we notice something in the scene in the movie or TV show seems different to us and then we start crying. That is normal. But that feeling, that emptiness, that overwhelming feeling of being worthless, that withdrawal feeling, that you wanting to be alone, all of that, it's not normal. It is not. And all I can think about is how am I going to connect with my son? Like, how? Am I going to look at my son and see his father? And be disgusted? Am I going to be one of those moms? And that, that made me feel disgusted with myself. And I had to remind myself, okay, we're not good now. 
but we cared about each other at one point we really loved each other at one point and that is something you need to hold to yourself i had to keep telling myself that you need to hold that feeling because your son had nothing to do with this matter of fact your son didn't ask to be born so you cannot take the hatred or the dislike whatever feeling you have towards his father onto him he didn't ask for it and you need to remember at one point in time you didn't feel what you're feeling now towards him it was hard it was hard and it didn't help that I went into I had an early labor episode where I became so dehydrated that um, I started having contractions. And I was saying to myself, but I'm drinking water. You know, I'm, I'm drinking water. I don't understand. And, you know, the doctors told me, well, if you don't, um, if these fluids don't help, we're going to have to induce labor. And at that point... My son could have lived, but he would have been in, in the incubator for um, a few months. And I said, no, I, I, I was just hoping I was just praying and I was battling myself every day. Battling. OK, look, you know, the stress of this relationship is contributing to this depression it's making it worse you have to like end it or tell him to move out you have to do something i started to say to him i I can't have you at the appointments because my numbers I said, you have to leave. And then I wanted him back. Then I wanted him to leave. It was just like I was fighting myself. And I knew him being around me wasn't healthy. It was seriously killing me. Literally, it was it was killing me. I remember I, I barely was eating I'm telling you guys if if any of you knew anything about gestational diabetes sometimes we the the mom the woman that is pregnant feels as though we're not eating anything we don't understand how the these numbers are rising and I and I would keep a journal I had to go to a nutritionist I had to go to a diabetic doctor it was crazy and at the end of the day, the doctor was like, the only, the only thing I can tell you is your stress. You need to cut whatever is stressing you. You need to just cut it out. You need to stop thinking. And I couldn't tell them. They would ask. They would. They, and then when I would, when I stopped working, they thought the numbers were going to get better, and it didn't. 
And my doctors at one point, they were pleading with me, like pleading. You have to think of your baby. You have to think of your baby. We're taking blood all the time. We see there's, you know, we see there's no narcotics. We can see that you're not drinking. We, we, we don't know what to do at this point. You, you know, we don't know what to do. Then, um, social worker came. This was, this is a time where I told my son's father, I, I couldn't have you, um, at the appointment with me. I just couldn't. It was just too much. Just, I can't have you. I went with my, I went with my daughter and I had a social worker come in and she said, listen, you know, are you having this baby, um, out of your own free will? You know, they couldn't understand. Um, and I said, no, I want this child. Like, okay. And, um, you know, I'm looking at your, your chart here. You know, let's, let's talk. Gave me a questionnaire. And I want to tell you guys something. Though, statistically speaking, 10 to 20% of women fall under prenatal depression, doctors know that the number is higher. Why? Because of the questionnaire. Same as myself. When I have, when I have clients... Um, and I do consulting with, uh, teenagers, not anymore due to COVID, but before, and they would have behavior problems. There are certain questionnaires we give them to assess the level of depression, when you're in this industry for a while, and, and I, I want to, I, not industry, but when you're in this profession for a while, I want you guys to understand, before I did business, even though my degree is in international business, I had a minor in um, psychology, and I was in doctors and clinics a lot. And you pick up on a lot of things. So going back to, to psychology wasn't hard for me. I was always, always fascinated with the human mind. But long story short, when you're in this profession, and you've been in this profession for a long time, and I haven't been in this profession for a long time. So if I can sit, assess a teenager, and Look at this teenager and look at the answers. And there's so much you can do because you really have to go with the assessment. Even though you, you can see, you can feel that they don't match, there's really not much you can do sometimes. So I was assessed. And even after, I was assessed. You get assessed for postpartum more than you even get assessed for pre for prenatal depression, um, because sometimes it's harder to assess, supposedly, but in 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 
To me, in all actuality, I don't think it is. And most physicians don't. But this caseworker, you know, I guess she had a conversation with the midwife and she looked at the assessment and she said, she, she said to me, listen, you are a very intelligent woman. And this assessment proves that, you know, looking at this assessment, you're fine. Looking at your blood work, you're fine. But looking at these numbers, you're not fine. So the blood work doesn't lie. The urine work doesn't lie. These, we're, you're coming here literally every other day. And at that point, I was. At that point, I had to go to the doctor every other day. In a week, I would go about three, four times a week. So she, she basically said, either you've taken these assessments or... You've read about them and knew how to beat them. She's like, but I just want you to think about your baby. And I know you may think that we'll put you on medication. That's not always the case. You're not harming yourself. It's not like you're drinking. You're not harming yourself in any way. Most likely what we would do is sit and talk to you. That's the only type of therapy we would advise. Nothing else. And she said that to me in hopes that I would say, yes, I need therapy. Let's talk. So when I say these numbers are higher than what they really are, they are. Because I'm sitting there saying to myself, I do need someone to talk to, to help me with this overwhelming feeling. But you're not taking my baby from me. You're not going to say to me, we, we can't allow this baby to go home with you. You're not going to give my son's father a reason to take this baby away from me because I can't help being sad. I can't help feeling the way I'm feeling right now. And in that moment, I got home. I said to myself, what are you doing? You know exactly what you need to do to help the situation. So, yes, I finally said, okay, I don't want him here. I don't want him to come to the appointments anymore. And then I want to tell you guys what helped save me and helped with sanity 
I started to meditate more. Some of you are new, some of you don't know, but I am um, Buddhist. I'm a student of Buddhism. I started to meditate more. I started to talk to myself. And I don't mean have a conversation with myself. I just started to analyze everything. I started writing things out. And I want to tell you that those strategies worked. I started to say to myself every day that, look, what you're feeling today, you don't have to carry it with you tomorrow. So the, the guilt of you not being good enough for your child, the guilt that you feel that you didn't fight hard enough to stay with his father, you don't have to carry that with you tomorrow. The overwhelming feeling of sadness, you don't have to carry that with you tomorrow. I would say these things to myself every day, every night, while I was crying in the shower, while I was crying to fall, my, to fall asleep. And there's some days I would say to myself, why are you still saying this to yourself? Like, it's not working. You're waking up and you're still feeling this way. So why do you keep on doing it? And I, I just kept on because... I knew eventually I had to ha- I had to hope eventually things would get better. And oh man, the relationship tested me a lot. And it didn't help. It didn't help that My son's father could be so evil and mean-spirited when he's emotionally hurt. It did not help. And he just, he didn't, he just could not see what he was doing to me. His sole purpose, I think, at that time was... To not be hurt any more than what he was. And the only way to do that was just to not care. You know, he cared about our son. Getting me to the doctor. Making sure my sugar was right. Making sure I had food in the house. Making sure I got from point A to point B. And that's all that he was responsible for. Making sure his part of the rent was paid. The bills, whatever. 
but my emotional status and well-being, he couldn't care less. He could not care less. He didn't understand what that would attribute to our son. Even though I would send him articles, even though I I would show statistics, I would try to talk to him. I would say, like, I'm just sad. I, and I can't get happy sometimes. He didn't care. And that didn't help. That didn't help. Journaling was a lifesaver. I started to write everything down every time I felt anything. Even when I felt happy, I would write it down. I wrote it down because I would go back and see what made me happy this day? What made me happy this hour? What was I doing at this time that made me happy so that I can do it again? I can replicate it. I just wanted to know what was I eating? You know, what did I have that day? What was my meal like that day? Did I exercise that day? Did I go for a walk? Did I go see my mom? Did my mom call me that day? Did my sister talk to me that day? What what was going on that day, that hour, that moment that I was happy because I want to do it again. I want to do it again. And you know what? Some days it worked. Some days I would go back. I would see whatever I was doing. I would try to replicate that day, that hour, that moment. And sometimes it would work. And other times it wouldn't. And that would make me feel worse. That would make me feel worse. So... It is not the traditional hormones, the traditional moodiness. No, prenatal depression, it's not that. And it can be worse. It can be very, very heartbreaking. You know... So many things can run around in someone's mind when their the chemicals are so imbalanced. But I held on to the fact that I practically begged the universe for my son. I would say to myself, no matter what, no matter what, when he is born, you will do everything in your power to make sure you spend time with him, to make sure he doesn't see you upset, sad, You will do everything in your power to always be content and happy around him. I would say to myself, your well-being is his well-being. So whatever you have to do, whatever it is you need to do, 
to be happy, you do it. Whatever it is. I changed my profession. I said to myself, I don't want to do retail anymore. I can't do it. I just, I can't do retail and be in my son's life. So I started to go to school online. I started to take classes to earn my certification. And then I lost my job and I dived in into that because the molt that the few weeks the few months i had with my son and not having to go to work or anything like that were the best in my life up you know up to that point and um I said, no, I'm not working weekends. I'm not working holidays. I want something that, you know, if my son's not feeling well, I don't have to hear, well, if you don't open the store, if you don't close the store, you're not going to have a job. You're going to get a write-up. I didn't want any of that anymore. That's what drove me to get my certification. That's what drove me to become an entrepreneur. The fact that I needed to keep myself happy no matter what is what helped. So after, you know, sending my son's father away, And I started writing a lot, journaling, meditating, you know, consuming different foods. I really dived into a lot of organic foods. I stopped with the dairy, the milk, really, um, because that's filled with a lot of hormones. I did a lot. And in the last six to eight weeks were phenomenal. And if I would have done those things earlier, I probably would have been less stressful. But I was less stressful, felt less of that overwhelming feeling, but it didn't go away completely. But I was beginning to level myself out. I was taking walks. And I was reminding myself every day. Again, you guys, I was reminding myself every single day. That what you asked for, you're going to have in X amount of weeks, in X amount of months. Like you are so close to holding your son. I want to tell you guys, if, if you know somebody that feels this way, or if you yourself, I mean, we're in a pandemic, the amount of babies that are going to come out of this pandemic, my goodness, do not go through 
this alone. It is horrible, gut-wrenching, horrible. Do not go through this alone. You will physically make yourself sick. And some of us that have prenatal depression automatically have postpartum depression. Some of us may not have had prenatal and just have postpartum. And the feelings that I'm feeling now, right? The feelings that I'm expressing to you now, I mean, those are the same feelings women have during postpartum depression and more. They, some of them can't connect with their baby. Some of them, it, they're just in another world. And that's the fear of women that have depression during pregnancy is when that child is born, will you able to connect with that child? Because if you're unable to connect with that child, you're going to neglect that child. And many women that battle with postpartum depression They neglect their children. Don't feed them. They don't change them when they're soiled. They don't care for them. It's complete neglect. So if you know anyone that is battling this, and I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that I had, you know, a social worker come in and talk to me. I'm so grateful that I had a midwife that was adamant about, you know, talking to me during the appointment, asking me over and over and over, how are you and how is the relationship with you and your son's father, you know, You may have to be away from him. You know, I was so grateful for all of that. I'm I'm immensely still grateful for all of that. I may have not been able to talk to him, though I have, though I wanted to. Believe me, you guys, I really wanted to have that ability to where we were both mature enough to put our differences aside and talk to one another. I really wished we could have. But that wasn't the case. I do want you guys to really really, really take prenatal care and prenatal depression serious because I was lucky I was lucky I had the ability I had the help indirectly 
to pull myself out of this dark period in my life. But we've all heard the stories of women battling postpartum and ending their life in their children's lives. This is not a joke. This is not something to play with. So what else can we do aside from journaling, meditating, and finding someone to talk to? You can meet yourself where you are today, right now, and face those challenges, those emotions, and obstacles. For me, how I like to meet myself where I am in the moment whenever I get down and out and feeling blue. I like to close my eyes, take a deep breath, firmly plant my feet on the ground and begin to actually realize where I am physically, emotionally, mentally, just where am I in this moment? And then I go to my go-to and I write it down. Another thing you can do when you're visualizing yourself in the here and the now is know that today isn't tomorrow. Today's moods, emotions, thoughts, they don't belong to tomorrow. I remember saying this earlier, they're not promised for tomorrow. So what you want to do is you want to pull apart all of that cloudy, gloomy feeling that is hovering over you. Dissect it. Break it down to different points. Points that you understand. Because what you don't want to do is assess all the parts as a whole. Doing so becomes overwhelming. And set a goal. It could be anything. The idea is to keep your self from thinking certain thoughts. And the best way to do that, honestly, is to stay active. Okay? So set small goals. So the goal is 
not, oh, I'm going to clean the house. Now that, that's not a small goal. When you think about it, there, there's so much to cleaning the home, right? There's so much to it. There's vacuuming, there's mopping, there's sweeping, there's the dishes, there's dusting, there's just so much. That is not the type of goal you want to set for yourself when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you're feeling worthless, like, you know, like you don't want to get out of bed. Those are not the goals you want to set for yourself. So for example, instead of clean the house, take out the trash, do the dishes. Like today, you know, say to yourself, I'm going to get up and I'm going to do the dishes. No matter what, I'll do the dishes today. Or no matter what, I'm going to make sure I take out the trash or I'll vacuum the living room or, you know, the bedroom, whatever. Okay. And instead of do laundry, say to yourself, I'm going to sort out the clothes. I'm going to, you know, put colors with colors, whites with whites, um, you know, jeans together, towels, whatever the case is. I'm going to do that. The idea is to set small achievable goals, okay? And then reward your efforts. When you're feeling down and worthless, you want to ensure that when you actually tackle your to-do list and you achieve those goals, you want to reward yourself. Take a bubble bath. You know, take a walk by yourself, go to the movies alone, have a piece of cheesecake. I mean, hello, you're carrying a baby, you're growing a newborn, right? So give yourself a piece of cake, you know, some double chocolate, you know, cake, mousse cake, cheesecake, whatever. Give yourself a nice big piece of, you know, chocolate. Get yourself a king size Snicker bar, whatever. But note to yourself that you got out of bed and you had set aside a goal and you achieved that goal. That's all life really is. Is setting goals, achieving those goals, and reaping the rewards. And try to create somewhat of a routine. Okay? Because again, a routine helps you stay on track, make it possible for you to achieve these goals that you've set for yourself and it it doesn't allow much time for interference outside of those goals 
when you know you have to do A, B, C, and D at a certain time, it really doesn't leave you much time for other interference. I love music. That's another thing that can help you when you're feeling this way. Try something new. So if you're not in the mood to talk to someone yet, there's so many things that you can do. Like I said, journaling, setting aside goals, small goals, achieving those goals, rewarding yourself for actually achieving those goals, listening to music, spending time with yourself, meditating, walking, spending time with nature. So don't just take a walk around the block. No, drive to a park if the park isn't close enough to walk to and walk around the park a few times. Breathe in that park air, okay? There's nothing, oh man, nothing can be walking around in a park. And if you live near a beach, you could do that too. But a park, and if you live near a nice, clean, well-kept park, Take your shoes off and feel, you know, feel the earth beneath your feet. Feel how grounded that will make you. And lastly, practice gratitude. And not just for what others have done for you, but what you've done for yourself. Be grateful. And of course, sleep. (laughs) I don't want to forget that. Sleep. But at the end of the day, whether you're crying every day or whether you're just a little down and out and a bit unhappy and unsettled about this pregnancy, or if you know someone that's feeling this way, it's going to be okay. I know that's not something you may want to hear, but with work, it's going to be okay. And like I said, I, I was lucky. I had a persistent midwife, persistent doctors, because they were baffled. They couldn't understand, okay, you say you're doing all this. We're looking at your blood work. We're looking at your journal. I mean, unless you're lying to us about what you've eaten. And I would go in there agitated because... I felt like I was eating like I was a rabbit. I was just like, I'm not eating enough. I don't know what else I could do. And I was just so frustrated. So I had I had doctors, social workers, and midwives. And again, 
this was all in silence. This was all no one knew. Not my mom, not any of my siblings, not even my son's father. And what I mean by that is he wasn't aware of the appointments when he wasn't there. I felt as though they sensed that. So, um, because that was always one of the main questions. How are you? Who, who came with you today? How's your relationship? And I began to realize when I would say, oh, I was accompanied by, you know, my son's father and my daughter. The the doctor's appointment was very different. And when I wasn't accompanied by him, it was very therapeutic. So I was very lucky. This doesn't mean that I didn't have those days where all the therapy, all the meditating, all of the walking, all of everything, um, there's still going to be those days, but you know what? When I started actively participating in being happy, there were less of those days. So I hope that this episode has shed some light for some of you guys on um, prenatal depression and looking at all the statistics with this pandemic, there are going to be so many women that are going to go through prenatal depression and they're not going to understand it. They're going to simply say it's the hormones and it's the pandemic and it can be factual. That can be what it truly is. But when you can't pick yourself up from out of that, you fall into depression. Now, what happens when you can't connect with your newborn after birth? You begin to neglect being a mother. And no one wants that. So the best thing to do is to fight this head on. Know the signs. Understand how you feel and talk to someone about it. Because you're going to find your tribe. You're going to send out certain vibes into the universe and you're going to find your tribe. And you're going to have people that are going to want to surround you and help you and uplift you. Even though, yes... As of now, 
there's a new virus and you know we are just starting to scratch the surface of understanding the first variant of COVID-19. It is a lot. There's still so many people unemployed. We don't know if there's going to be another lockdown. So everyone around you is just as stressed. And you may feel as though I, I can't talk to people about what I'm feeling because everyone is going through something. What makes what I'm going through any different? Well, the difference between them and yourself, you are growing a newborn. You are growing a whole other person inside of you. And now you have to think of two people rather than one. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in to Shoot the Breeze with Alexandra Marie and I am your host, Alexandra Marie, wishing you all a very blessed evening.